right, so uh, believe it or not, that's not the end of the announcements. That was to try to get your attention, so I think I did. So the rest of the announcements are because in October and in February, we, um, we start and restart our small groups. So if you are on that same page where the lyrics are, Calvary Chapel 316, there's some announcements, and there's a thing that has groups. So every week I'm going to tell you some of the groups because there's too many to do all of them. But um, if you hit groups, you'll come to three categories, Bible studies, fellowship, serving growth and support groups. That's one group, 42 groups there. And then there's uh, serving during weekend services. There's nine group opportunities there. And foundations for new disciples. There's three opportunities there um, if you're coming to the Lord. And today, if you're coming to the Lord, click on where it says, I'm beginning to follow Jesus. Somebody will get in touch with you. They'll send you a book. They'll send you a Bible. Uh, get you involved in a class if you want to, a new believers class. But I'm going to go through 10 of these real quick and tell you what they are. And so the first one says, New London Bible Study and Prayer Group on Wednesdays, 6.30 to 8. And I saw uh, David and Morris come in. There you are. So you guys still, you're still doing it? You're still praying? You prayed all through COVID just about, I think, didn't you? So um, good. So... Um, and then when, they, when you do a Bible study, I think you're usually following what we're doing on the weekends unless the Holy Spirit leads you to do something else, right? Isn't that how it works? <laughs> so uh, you might want to join those guys. They are, they are faithful prayers, I'll tell you that. And then every other Tuesday in Montville, just uh, this way, um, I guess it's Montville. I don't know if that is that Montville. I guess it is. Because Montville is Oakdale, Chesterfield, uh, Uncasville. So there's a Bible study every other Tuesday, 8 30, uh, 6.30 to 8.30. Monday mornings, 9.30. That's in Mystic. There's a Bible study. Mostly all ladies, I believe, but I'm not sure. Tuesday nights here. They were doing it on the porch for a while. Bible study. I'm going through, again, what we're doing on uh, uh, the weekend services usually. Then I do a Bible study on Tuesdays uh, in the middle of the afternoon. There's a Boy Scout troop that meets at Chapel Hill Tuesdays. Um, Calvary Chapel Home Churches, once we shut down outside, we're going to go back inside. Um, but if you would like to gather together another family or a couple of friends or three families or yourself and your neighbor, um, we're going to encourage people through the winter to, in your home, gather together and follow along with what we're doing and you can worship with us as we worship here. Um, we still haven't got our live stream cameras and everything all great, but we're doing good enough for being outside. We're doing PowerPoint on it today, so that should work too. So people who are watching, you will get PowerPoint from outside, which is a pretty good trick. Um, so you'll hear more about that as well. But, but think about it, just gathering together with just, just some families. There's a care team. What do they do? They care for people and they do it as needed. Um, Christian Islamic Dialogue, that's a Mark. I saw Mark walking around somewhere. But Mark goes all over the place and goes to mosques and shares Christ with, with Muslims. So if you would like to do that, they'll, tr they'll help you uh, learn how to do that. And they get a great reception. People are, people are open to them. They've been in the mosques talking about Jesus. Conquer Series, that happens on Tuesdays. It's here. It's a men's purity group, a men's sexual purity group. Um, so men need to be sexually pure, especially in this environment that we're in now. Um, men need all the help that they can get. And uh, there is also, I think I'm going one more than I should be, but I'll do it anyway. First and third Tuesdays, um, Don uh, does uh, devotion, communion, and prayer. Just kind of trying to follow the Lord there. So we are looking in the book of Exodus. 
We are finishing up in the book of Exodus. And um, actually, we've got a couple more weeks before we finish up. But um, we're going to actually be in chapter 25. We're going to take a jump because we don't want to go through all of those laws. There's five chapters of laws. And if you didn't get one of these, pick one up now over at the communion table. Pick one of these up because we're going to use this. It will help us to work our way through what it is that we're doing this morning. So jump to chapter 25 in your Bible. And if you have that handout, it will definitely help you. Because here we are in chapter 25. Now, the way that it works with the Bible, especially if you're learning to read the Bible and first reading the Bible, the, the best place to start is probably in the New Testament, maybe the book of John. Some people say the book of 1 Thessalonians because everything, First and Second Thessalonians, seven chapters, everything's there. Eight chapters, everything's there. Uh, some people start in Genesis and just start reading through the Bible. And if you read through Genesis from the beginning, it's exciting because you hear a lot of those stories and those accounts that maybe you've heard about but never read. You see God created the heavens and the earth. You see Adam and Eve. You see them rebelling against God. Um, You see Noah and his flood. You see Abraham and his family. It's pretty exciting stuff. And then when you get to the book of Exodus, you find this whole story of, of God forming a nation and the blood of the Lamb. And then you get to the Ten Commandments. If you get to chapter 20, it's quite a reward. You're like, wow, you know, there's, there's those things buried in there, the Ten Commandments. And you're feeling pretty good. You're trucking along and you get to chapter 21 and, and the car just sort of, you ever have, you ever been riding in your car and your car just loses power? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of you get there and just just sort of slows right down like what am I reading and so you try to make your way through it and then you get to chapter 25 where it's talking about the tabernacle and you're like what am I reading so here it is in chapter 25 it says the Lord said to Moses tell the Israelites now they're they're heading to the promised land but God's settling them in they're learning to walk with God The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. They are to receive the offering from me, each person whose heart prompts him to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for light, Spices for anointing oil, for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastplate. Then have them make a sanctuary for me. Strange word, sanctuary. You really only hear that in religious circles for the most part, although there are wildlife places that are sanctuaries. They're set apart. They're peaceful places. Nothing else happens in them except they're just peaceful places for you to go. So make this sanctuary. Sanctuary comes from the word holy, which means to set apart. So make a set apart place for me, and I will dwell among them. Now, here's the interesting thing. God is going to dwell among them, and he's going to dwell among them in the sanctuary. And he said, make this tabernacle with all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So before we go on a little bit, we should talk a little bit about um, the offerings, because uh, 
we like to go verse by verse through the Bible, and uh, when you go verse by verse through the Bible, you don't find all that many times that it talks about offerings and tithes and giving. Um, and so when we get there, we might as well talk about that. So they were going to build this tabernacle on the offerings of the people. And we take offerings, we receive offerings. I don't think that we've ever taken an offering. We've never, never made the clarion call you know, to, you know, give now. We try to make the clarion call to God. You know, God, you know, um, move people to, to give to what it is you're doing. And these are the offerings. And here, today, you can give, you can give. We have little mailboxes stationed throughout, and you can, you can put your offerings in there. And we will gladly receive any of these. We will gladly receive gold, Silver and bronze. If you have that, put it, in the, put it in the containers. Blue and purple and scarlet yarn, sure. Fine linen, we'll take it. Uh, you can refrain from your goat hair, ram skins, and hides of sea cows today. <laughs> we don't have any use for them at present, but we might someday, but today we don't. <laughs> Anyway, it says the anointing oil and incense and all of these things. But, uh, but the people gave, and um, they built the sanctuary. Now, here's what it's going. Let's look at this. This is where you start to get bogged down in your Bible, if your Bible reading all the way through. The ark, verse 10. Have them make a chest of Acadia wood, two and a half cubits long. Anybody know what a cubit is? A cubit is from here to here. And almost everybody's cubit is, is the same. Like if you go next to somebody that's shorter than you, probably your cubit is about the same. It's pretty interesting. It's pretty amazing. And so uh, make it two and a half cubits long, a, a cubit wide, and a cubit and a half high. This chest uh, made out of acacia wood. Overlay it with pure gold that you get out of the little mailboxes in the field. Both inside and out and make gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings on it and fasten them to its four feet. Two rings on one side, two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the side of the chest to carry it. The poles are to remain in the ark. And, and it's getting exciting. Um, and not moved. And then put the ark of testimony where I give it to you. And then make an atonement cover of pure gold. Two and a half cubits long and a cubit half wide. And make two cherubim of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherub on one side and the second cherub on the other. And the cherubs are to have their wings spread outward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking forward. Place the cover on the top of the ark and put the ark in the testimony that I'll give you. Uh, and there above the cover, between the two cherubim that are above the ark of the testimony, I'll meet with you and I'll give you all of my commands. Oh, let's move on. The table. Make a table of a cake. What is all this stuff? So 25 is the table, 31 is the lampstand, 26 is how to make the tabernacle, and then tw chapter 27, it has the altar, and it has the courtyard, and it has all of this stuff. So um, if you look at this thing that we handed to you today, we'll try to make sense out of this. What is this? Why is God doing this, and why is he going on chapter after chapter after chapter, giving all of the detail of the things that exist in this tabernacle. So um, we also are trying to do the PowerPoint uh, for everybody that's uh, watching at home. So the, the first slide has the scripture from the New Testament that explains this to us. 
explains what we just read to us. It says in the book of Hebrews, which the book of Hebrews was, does anybody know who the book of Hebrews was written to? Anybody want to venture a guess? <laughs> to the Corinthians. <laughs> it was written to the Hebrews. And the Hebrews would have had a long history of understanding some of these things. You see, if you would have been a convert in Greece or in other places in Rome, you wouldn't have so much history of it. But the Hebrews had a history of it, and they understood the temple and they understood the sanctuary, at least somewhat. And here's what the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 8, 5, it says, These serve at the sanctuary, talking about the priests. This sanctuary in the wilderness, this tabernacle, this tent, so it's a sanctuary, it's a tabernacle, it's a tent, those words are used interchangeably. This sanctuary is a copy and a shadow of what's in heaven. So whatever this thing is, sitting in the midst of all of those people, it's a shadow of what's going on in heaven or what is in heaven. And when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this thing have to do with any of that? This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern that I showed you on the mountain. So all of the details, all of the architectural details that God gives in the building of this, he needs to stick to it precisely. Why? Because everything that's in here is going to speak to us of two things. The whole Bible has one primary theme, and that primary theme is Jesus. You should be able to open the Bible anywhere and see Jesus. In fact, I have a friend who he used to do a Sunday night service that sometimes it would get a little um, casual and he would call up some of his interns and tell them to open up the Old Testament and say, start reading right there. And so maybe one of them would start reading right there with the table, make a table of acacia wood, two cubits long, overlay it with pure gold and make gold mounding around it and around it put a rim, a hand's breadth, and he'd say, preach Jesus from right there. Well, how can you preach Jesus from right there? You know, give me a different passage. Give me Isaiah 53. Give me some. No, do it from right there. Because Jesus is to be found everywhere. And so this tabernacle, this tent, this sanctuary is a copy of something that's in heaven, either a concept or an idea or something that's actual. And we will learn some things from it. We'll learn that it's a picture of the work of Jesus Christ. We'll, we'll, we'll learn that it's the work of what Jesus did for us. And, 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 and believe it or not, um, my phone is on and I'm talking, and I'm talking to myself here. So um, it's a picture of what Jesus did for us, but it also is a picture of the Christian life. That's what we said at the beginning, that this is a picture of Christ in the Christian life and experience. And so before we look at the rooms and the furniture, um, <clears throat> let's look at this. This, see this covering? This cover is a picture of Jesus. Well, how is that a picture of Jesus? I collect pictures of Jesus. And I have, I have all kinds of pictures of Jesus. I have the soft Jesus praying on a rock. I have the NRA Jesus. I have the anarchy Jesus. You know, <laughs> the rebellious Jesus. You know, I just, you know, Jesus. Pictures of Jesus and, and who people think Jesus is. And... Um, and this tabernacle is a picture of Jesus. That's Jesus. Cut it out, put it on your wall, and people say, what is this? Say, that's Jesus. 
well, how can that be Jesus? How, what, what are you talking about? And that's a picture of the, the Christian life. Well, the first thing is this, that this tabernacle, if you look at this picture here, I think it's slide number two maybe on the, the PowerPoint. If you look at this one on the top, this tabernacle is built right in the midst of the people. You see, there's 12 tribes. And later on, God will tell the tribes exactly where they're supposed to camp around this tabernacle. And one tribe would be here and another tribe would be there. And, and actually, when the tribes are formed, they're formed in a cross. They're formed in a cross. And right in the middle of that cross is the tabernacle. The tabernacle, the tent. And if you look at the, um, the bird's eye view, it just shows you what it would look like from the sky. Uh, it's a picture. It's a picture of God among us. What did he say that he was going to do? He would dwell among them. And this is a picture that they were to get in an understanding that they were to have that God is among us, that God is here. And the next verse is this one, is that the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. But that word dwelling, it's translated different ways depending on the Bible you're reading it. The word is tabernacled. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. The word became flesh and tented among us. Jesus himself became the tabernacle and he dwelt among us. He dwelt with the people. And so this tabernacle was right in the midst of the people. And it says in uh, John, we have seen his glory, the glory of the only one who came from the Father. But the tabernacle, or the tent, was central to the life of the nation. Think about it. So what, what would it be central to? It would be central to your social life. Because right in the midst of all of those tribes is the tabernacle. And if you wanted to go visit your friend because on Friday night you go over to their house to play bingo or Pictionary or whatever you do, you would, if you were from one tribe going to another, you would pass by the tabernacle on your way to your social life. What if you're a business person and you're doing trade or business with somebody from another tribe and you're maybe in on the southern side and you have business with somebody on the northern side when you went to do business you would walk past the tabernacle and so God himself is the center of social life he's the center of community life he's the center of business life and so it is with us that Jesus when he's our Lord and Savior he's the Lord of our social life he's the Lord of our community life He's the Lord of our business life. Now, if you're a young person, he's the Lord of your dating life. Because maybe you're dating somebody from one of these other tribes. You're on the western side and she's on the eastern side and you go over to see her. And when you go over to see her, you pass by the tabernacle. And you remember that even in the midst of your dating life, that God is in the center of it. And if you're a Christian young person and you're dating and you're in that phase and you're whatever it is, dating, courting, parents arranging, however your particular circle works it, Jesus is the center. God is the center. It's like the girl who used to go on a date with guys sometimes in the car alone. And he would sit on the driver's seat and she would sit here and she would put her Bible right in between them. 
And she said, if you're going to get to me, you've got to jump over Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> Jesus in the midst of your dating life. Jesus in the midst of, of all of your life, your business life. And so there in the midst is God. And that's the picture we're to get. That God is central. Jesus is central. We used to sing a song here called Jesus is the center. Be the center. It came from Britain, so it's spelled center differently, the R before the E instead of the other way. Jesus, be the center. You be the center. Well, that comes from the tabernacle, that he is the center of our life. And if you pan out a little bit further, um, and here, I'm sorry, and uh, it would be the next slide. If you pan out even further, you see something quite interesting. And the Psalms speak about this a lot. That when God placed Israel in the world, he placed them in the center of the world. There they are, right in the center. One of the Psalms says, Jerusalem, beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth. And so God took his people and he put them in the center of the earth. God took himself and he put himself right in the center of our lives. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's the center of your life. He's smack in the middle of our lives. And so Israel, and here's where some of these concepts come from. You see, if you're living in Jesus' day, an awful lot of this stuff makes sense when you hear Jesus saying it. Let's see if you pan it out. Israel's placed right in the middle of the nations. Israel was in the world, but it wasn't of the world. They were different. They were different people. They were a people who were gathered around God where all of their life, their community life, their, their sex life, their thought life, their business life was all surrounded around God. And there are lessons for us. There are lessons for us in our ecclesiology, our study of the church. Jesus said, my prayer is that you don't take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So right there, smack in the middle of the world, he puts his people. And they're smack in the middle of the world. Who's the center of that? The center of that is the tabernacle. He came and he dwelt among us. He came and he tabernacled among us. The incarnation. And so now the Holy Spirit is living in us. And wherever the church is there, we are, not of the, we, we are in the world, but not of it. Sprinkled, salted all throughout the world. And so... Um, you know, a lot of times when people think of church, you know, they think of big. Jesus is, saw the church as being small and without much visible power in the world. That's how Jesus saw And we seem to be, especially as Americans, and if you live in Texas even more so, you know, you see the church as, you know, big and powerful. Well, Jesus saw as small and not much visible power in the world, but the only entity that was commissioned to bring life and to change from the inside and to bring eternal life. Just scattered in the world. God being the center. And so there's a quiet revolution that changes the world one heart at a time. That's what my, my early pastor told me. He said, if you want to change the world, do it one heart at a time. The world needs changing. Anybody want to argue that? I mean, the world needs changing. Well, change it one heart at a time. One heart at a time. The quiet revolution. And so being in the world but not of it. The New Testament world of believers was made up largely of slaves 
probably a quarter to a third of the church was slaves. But interesting, even though that was the majority of the believers in early Rome, there were also believers from the household of Caesar, from the guttermost to the, to the uttermost. It makes up everyone in the world, but not of it. And Jesus puts together his church. So the next thing you find out about this tabernacle, before we get a little bit more into it, is the tabernacle would move. And uh, one of these pictures, it has a picture of fire at night. And what God would do was he was teaching them how to follow. And if the tabernacle would stay, they were supposed to stay. They would just stay. They move the tabernacle, nothing's happened, and it's just sitting there. How long would it sit there? Eight hours? Ten hours? Eight days? Ten days? Eight months? Ten months? Eight years? Ten years? How long would it stay there? And when it was staying, you were supposed to stay. And when the cloud came by day and started to move, they were supposed to pack up the tabernacle and they were supposed to follow where God was going, teaching them how to follow. And then even at night, sometimes the fire would come at night and it would move at night. So you need to be ready to follow God at all times of the day, 24-7, 365. Following God and learning to follow Him and learning obedience. Where's He going? When the, the, the cloud or the fire would move, the question would be, where's He going? And you know what the answer would be? Who knows? I don't know where He's going. But we're supposed to follow, learning the lesson of following. And, um, you know, that's why Jesus said this. And it starts to make sense. If you're a Hebrew in Jesus' day, Jesus, in the Gospel of John, he says, when he has brought out all of his own, talking about the shepherd, and he said he was the shepherd, all of these images, all of these things in the Old Testament find their manifestation in the Old Testament, find their manifestation in the New Testament. He said, when he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them by the fire, by the cloud. He goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Well, they're learning to know his voice. We, last week, we talked about uh, baby dedication and how Samuel was dedicated to the Lord and his mom brought him to Eli the priest and he's sleeping there one night and he hears a voice and he wakes up and Eli said, you just dream and go back to sleep and it happens a number of times and then Eli says, you know, it must be the Lord. Next time you hear the voice, say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. It takes a while to learn his voice. But Jesus said when he, the shepherd, is brought out his own, he goes ahead of him and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger in fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Well, we learn to follow the voice of God. And some of us have got around voices that tell us that they're the voice of God. But you detect that, I don't know, there's just something wrong. There's something not right there. Well, you're learning to be discerning. You're learning to listen to the voice of God. Because the Lord is my shepherd. I don't know who your shepherd is, but the Lord is my shepherd. I'm following the Lord. Who do we follow? We follow the Lord. We follow Him. We learn to follow His voice. And that's what they were learning with the tabernacle. And so on, on the next slide, on the, on the live stream, it also says this. We should look at this. So it says, through the gate in the inside courtyard. So if you look at the first picture again, 
you, you see that what there is, particularly if you look at the bird's eye view, there's a little gate. A little gate. And that gate has all of those colors. What colors does it have? It has red and purple and white and blue. You know, what would the white speak of? Purity, right? What would the red speak of? Red, the Bible. Blood. What does purple speak of almost always? Royalty. What does blue speak of? Not, nothing we're seeing up there right now. Speaks of the heavens. And so the heavens, purity, the blood, royalty are all mixed together in the colors of this gate. All mixed together. Jesus did all of those. He's all of those colors. And when you would come into this thing, you would come in through the gate. Well, didn't Jesus say that he was the gate? Exactly. And they understood that you would come into the tabernacle through the gate. You come in how? You come in through Jesus. If you're getting to God, and what's going to happen here, if you look at the, the other one where it's just sort of a drawing, you're going to start from the beginning and you're finally going to get into the Holy of Holies where you are in the total presence of God. There in the Holy of Holies, you are in the total presence of God. How do you get there? You come through the gate. Jesus was the gate. And the shepherds knew some things about the gate because they would have these sheep pens and they would just make rocks in a circle. And they wouldn't necessarily always have a gate that closed. The shepherd himself would lay down and he would be the gate so the sheep couldn't get out. If the sheep were going to get out, they'd have to get through, through him. If they were going to get in, how would they come? They'd come through him. If you want to get into God, how do you come? You come through the gate. You come through Jesus. And, and the next thing you see there is the court. The court, the outside court. Because there's inside of the tent, there's another tent. But there's a court, an open area like here. It's open. There's a psalm that says, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my mouth and into his courts with praise. So not only is this a picture of Jesus, but it's a picture of the Christian life and experience. And so we come here with thanks. We start to sing thanks to God. We start to sing praise to God. And we enter into his courts. We come through the gate and we sing and we are in the courts. And the first thing that you see when you get into these courts here is a brazen altar. There's an altar. Well, well, what happens at the altar? If this is a picture of Jesus in the midst of us, in the midst of our business life, in the midst of our sex life, in the midst of our hopes, in the midst of our dreams, in the midst of our community. If this is about Jesus who's leading us by his voice, if we're coming through the gate and we're into the courtyard, what's the first thing that you see? You see a sacrifice. The whole scripture from beginning to end, one of the themes, it's called the scarlet thread of redemption, is all through the scripture there's blood sacrifice, the innocent dying for the guilty. All through the scripture. From the beginning in Genesis all the way to the end in the book of Revelation. The scarlet thread of redemption. It's about Jesus. And the first thing that you see when you come into the Christian experience, when you come in through Jesus, is you see his sacrifice, you see the cross. It's the first thing you see. It's the cross. And then when you go in a little bit deeper, what would they, what would they sacrifice there? Um, remember John the Baptist when he sees Jesus? He says, behold, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. 
The grammar is important there because he says the Lamb of God. Because up until that time, they went to Jerusalem every year at the Passover. And over the centuries, they had brought millions of lambs and sacrificed them for their sins. The innocent dying for the guilty. But Jesus comes and he is the final Lamb of God. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the Lamb of Lambs. And he has died for our sins. And he dies at the cross. And the first thing you see is the sacrifice of Jesus. What he has done for us. And there it is in the midst of the people. The people whose business life is built around God. Jesus Christ, the sacrifice, went to the cross for me. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the next thing that you see is you see this laver. You see the little drawing there? It says laver. Well, the laver was made out of ladies' mirrors. Moses told them, go get the things that you use for mirrors and bring them to me. And they took them and they pounded them out into this big bowl, a reflecting bowl. And that reflecting bowl was filled with water. So what happens? Christian life and experience, what does Jesus do for us? Christian life and experience, as you come in through the gates, you see the sacrifice of Jesus, and there's a laver there where you wash. And we put a scripture there, I believe, from Ephesians that says, washing with the water through the Word. And what happens when you read the Word of God? It becomes a mirror to you. Some people say this, talking about hearing the voice of God. They say, God never speaks to me. I never hear God speak to me. Well, there's, a, there's two simple solutions to that one. The, the first simple solution, if you feel like God never talks to you, pray this prayer. You can do it right now, and by the end of the service, he'll answer you. Uh, you can pray this prayer. You can say, God, what's wrong with me? <laughs> I guarantee you, by the end of the service, you will have an answer. <laughs> The other one is the laver, the Word of God and the washing of the Word of God. You come up to that laver and you wash. Read the book of Proverbs. You want to see a mirror? Read the book of Proverbs. Do it every day. There's 31 of them, one for every day of the month. Just read it through and it'll be, it'll be a mirror for you. It will reflect your life back to you. You'll find something about your life every day that you read the book of Proverbs. And so the washing of the Word, the reflecting of the Word, It's what Jesus does for us. He gave us His Word. He was the Word. And the Word became flesh and tabernacled, tented among us, became the center of our lives, every aspect of our lives, our entertainment lives. The washing of the Word. Well, you go in a little bit further. And now you come into a secondary tent. And that secondary tent is called the holy place. And there's three things in the holy place. There's the altar of incense, there's a table of showbread, there's the candlestick. Three things in there. So if this is the Christian life and experience, then you're going deeper in your walk. Now you can stay in the courtyard where the sacrifice of Jesus is there and where the word of God is there and where you read your Bible once in a while or you have the Bible app and listen to it or you get little verses that come into your email or something and you can do that. When you're in the, the Christian life and experience, when you're at the place of the cross and the labor, you're still outside. You're still outside. And 
And being outside, you can hear all of the things that are going on over the wall of that tent. You can hear all of the community life. You're sort of in the midst of it. But you can go in deeper. And Jesus is deeper life for us as well. We can go as deep with Jesus as we want to. And once you go into the holy place, it's a whole nother experience of things that are going on there. The, you know, what's the, what's the first thing that you see when you go in there? You see the lamp. I don't know that we put a picture of the lamp there. The lamp would be like the menorah. You ever see the menorah? It, it has one stem and they fill it with pure oil. And that pure oil lights the fire for all of those stems. And inside of that holy place, there would be no light at all if it were not for that candle, if it were, were not for that lampstand. And so Jesus, isn't it interesting that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus lights up our lives. And inside of the... Inside of the holy place, there is only one light, the only light. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There's one way, there's one light, and that light is Jesus. And he's in the holy place. And you can go in deeper and you can start to find Jesus being the light. You can start to see Jesus helping you discover things. One of the things that they would do with the light, it was... Uh, a practice for them on Passover, sort of a ritual, a little bit of a game that the kids would play. They would take a candle and they would look for leaven all over the place. They would look for sin all over the place. Jesus is the light. And Jesus shines his light on my sin. Shines his light on my life. And so this is all a picture that they were supposed to see all the time, that they were supposed to understand in their community that God is the light inside of the holy place. What's the next thing that you see? Well, you see the bread. Shout it out. Did Jesus ever say anything about bread? What did he say about himself? I'm the bread of life. They understood this concept of bread. And, and they understood that they feed off of, off of God, that God is feeding them the bread. Now, um, we don't have a real good picture of that table of showbread, but what it looked like was it was just a table, a little square table, and it had a ridge on it. And they would take the bread and they would put the bread there. They would put 12 loaves of bread on there. Well, there were 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles. And so the 12 pieces of bread represent the people of God. And there they are in Jesus, the people of God. Now, the way that the bread was made, the bread was made sort of like, anybody ever have brown and serve rolls? Where like you cook it as like one loaf, but it's like different pieces, each one of them. Well, that's what the bread was like. The bread was all together, but it was separate. It was separate, but together. Well, which one is it? Are those separate loaves or is it one piece? Well, I don't know. The brown and silver loaves look like one. No, they're, they're separate. They're separate, but they're together. And the thing about the ridge around it, there's a verse, and it says, Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. You see, it's in that holy place that that's where you find fellowship. That's where you find connection with other believers. That's where you find connection with other believers and connection to Jesus with other believers. 
and the ridge around the end is now unto him who's able to keep you from falling. So if that priest was in there doing his business and he hit the table, bumped it, that bread's not going to slide off because there's a ridge on it. You're not going to slide off the table. Jesus is going to make sure you don't slide off the table. Now, you might feel like you are on a wonder ride. <laughs> you might feel like you are on the scariest ride to ever hit the amusement parks anywhere on the planet. But he's not going to let you fall. He's not going to let you fall. He is going to hold on to you through this storm. He's going to hold on to you through this craziness. In the picture of the showbread. And one of the ways that he's going to do that is by having other people around you that can help hold you up. In our New Believers class, we used to say that fellowship is pretty simple. It's just two fellows in the same ship. Just hanging out together. But it's around something. It's not around our favorite sports team or our political preferences or our you know, entertainment choices. It's, it's fellowship around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. What he's done for me and what he's done for you. And so the next thing that you see, and it's all Jesus because he's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the Word of God. He's the sacrifice. He's all of that. You see, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You know, the Ten Commandments, you know, where you know, where'd we find Jesus and all of that? Well, it showed us our need for Jesus because we all don't do those things that we're supposed to do. So what's that supposed to do? It's supposed to drive us to say, Jesus, I, I did those things I wasn't supposed to do. And if I accept what he has done for me on the cross and I believe that in my heart and confess it with my mouth, he will forgive me and he will bring me into, into, into his own and he will make me a brown and servo. Connected to others. Connected to him. Belonging to him in the safe place. In the holy place. Now there's another place if you look at the drawing. There's the altar of incense. Sometimes we sing songs about that, like incense unto you. What does that mean, like incense unto you? I'll tell you an incense story. Um, before I was a believer, I had people praying for me. And um, I started to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit that um, I knew that I needed God. I knew I was separated from God and I didn't know how to get to God. And I was at a grocery store and there were some Hare Krishnas there. And they had bags and they were selling stuff. And they were selling a book that they said was a holy book. And so I was, I was hungry. I was wondering what was going on. I don't know why this hunger was in me. I don't know why this search was in me. And I, I said, what is it? They said, it's a holy book. And I said, well, let me see it. And he gave it to me. And I was like, this is a holy book. And, and I bought the holy book. And the person I was with, I was with a girl. She said, what is that? I said, it's a holy book. And, and she said, why in the world would you say it's a holy book? And I said, look, it even smells. Smell it. And she smelt it. And she said, you idiot, they have incense in that bag too. So, uh... <laughs> I was so disappointed. I was so deflated. You know, the, the holy book. Like, why do you have to ruin that for me? You know, holy book. 
It's going to get me to God. Well, well, the incense. The incense. Um, you see, this is the Christian life and experience in a holy place. It, it's there that you see the light. He starts shedding light on you, on you. There's the fellowship. And there's the prayer. Because it says in Acts that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And in Revelation, though, it says that when he had taken of it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lord. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which were the prayers of the believers. So our prayers are like incense going up to God. Incense going up to God. And God likes the smell of it. Likes the smell of it. He likes the smell of our prayers. He likes the fragrance of our prayers. It's like a sweet fragrance to him. And so it's there in that holy place that we find the life of prayer. But it goes further than that because it says that Jesus stands and intercedes for us. You know that Jesus is praying for you? Jesus prays for you in John 17 and Jesus continues to pray for you. Prays for me. It's the work of Jesus. The tabernacle is all about Jesus. It's a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of who he is and what he does. And because we're in him, it becomes a picture of who we are in the Christian life and experience. That's why the writer in Hebrew said, that's why God told Moses, make sure you do it exactly the way that I said to do it, because every single thing in there means something. Every single thing in there is a picture of, of the work of what Jesus has done for you and of what the Christian life and experience is like. And so, when you go a little bit further, there's the verse right there, right? Jesus prays for us. Romans 8.34 Who is it that condemns? Jesus Christ who died more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. He's praying for me. I think he prays more for some of us than others. <laughs> Not really, I don't think so. <laughs> He's just praying for us. But as you go a little bit further, you go to the most holy place or the holy of holies. And that place there has a curtain. It has a curtain and there's no way to get through that curtain. And on that curtain, of course, there's embroidered cherubim. And what are the colors? Blue and purple and gold and white and red, all mixed together. Jesus. And inside of that holy of holies is the ever presence of God. What would it be like to be in the presence of God? You would meet the mercy seat. You meet mercy. When you meet God, you meet mercy. You know, that word mercy is used 450 times in the Bible. And into the Holy of Holies, the deepest place that you can go with God, what do you find there? Mercy. Mercy. Jesus was all about mercy. He said to the religious leaders, you guys are all religious, but you don't know anything about mercy. You don't know anything about what I'm looking for. You don't know anything about what's in the Holy of Holies. You don't know anything about God. God is mercy. And it's in that place that you find mercy. Jesus said we needed to learn mercy. He said, but go and learn this. You want to learn something? Learn this. I desire mercy. For I've not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call the sinners to repentance. So that's the curtain where maybe you've heard this story that when, 
when Jesus died on the cross, they had taken the tabernacle and they turned it into a temple. They took this temporary structure and they turned it into a permanent structure. But the same things were there. And when Jesus dies on the cross, it says that that particular curtain was torn in two. What did it mean for that curtain to be torn in two? Because there's no way to get in there. They, they said that the high priest used to go in there. <laughs> the high priest. I always think of that. You know, as a teenager, I, I remember being around some high priests. But um, anybody else? I mean, some of them, they used to really like, some of them really suck it back. But, uh, <clears throat> but the high priest, once a year, he would go into the Holy of Holies. But there's no door there. And he's got all of this stuff on, so he can't crawl underneath it. They said, how did he do it? They said, it was a mystery. He must have just walked up to it, put his nose there, and gone on to the other side. But you couldn't get in there. You know, up until the cross, the way to the presence of God for ordinary people and even for the priests that served in that tabernacle, there's no entrance into there. When Jesus dies on the cross, that curtain is ripped in two, and it's a thick curtain in, in the temple, which meant what? That Jesus' death on the cross opened the way to God for everybody and anybody. That whosoever will. A couple of years ago, we had a guy here, um, Ryan Reese is his name, and he has a ministry called the Whosoever's. And he has all of this merchandise he sells, you know, whosoever hats and whosoever shirts. And it took me the longest time to get it. I was like, I wonder why Ryan calls that the Whosoever's. And I thought, how dumb can you be? It's, it's for God so loved the world that whosoever believed in him would never perish but have everlasting life. And so when that thing was broken in two, when it was ripped in two, the way was open for anyone, including the thief who was next to him. Who he realized what he had done. And he's got his buddy on the other side. He's between two thieves and everybody's mocking him. And then the one guy comes to his senses. I love that phrase. Came to his senses. And he said to Jesus, you know, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Even you. The way will be open for anyone and everyone who wants to come. Like who? Like the slave class in Rome. Like the household of Caesar. Like anybody, like anybody and everybody, come right in. Come into the holy place. And so this whole thing, that we get so bogged down in, in the book of Exodus. And how was it paid for? We saw how it was paid for. How was it constructed? The willing contributions of God's people. You know, I think there is a lesson in there for us. You know, it was Jim Elliott who gave his, his life uh, going to try to evangelize people that ate people. And they killed him. But he said... Uh, only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. He, he was the one who said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We'll say that one again, Jim Elliot. He was no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Gave everything. Gave everything for God. And so this whole idea of him being in the midst of us and us giving everything giving our goat skins, giving our gold, our silver, our bronze, our lives. In living our lives, not only giving them, but living our lives, crossing by that tabernacle when we're doing business. 
when you're doing a deal with somebody, selling them something or buying something. Well, just remember the Lord is there in our midst. You know, when you're in a relationship with somebody or a potential relationship with somebody, well, then just remember that He's there in our midst. I try to remember in my own marriage that before my wife and I were husband and wife, we were brother and sister in Christ. And we still are. Somehow, the I do changes that somehow. And we forget that we're brother and sister in Christ and need to be preferring one another. So, um, what about, does God, does, did God need all the offerings to those people? Of course not. God could do anything he wanted. But the people contributed to it, and it happened, and it moved, and it existed. So why go back to an old sanctuary when you can have Jesus? We shouldn't. That's the whole point of the book of Hebrews. You see, they were going back to old things and old rituals, and not seeing that all of those things pointed to Jesus and all of those things pointed to the Christian life and experience. You see, he's our purpose. He's our mission. He's our guidance. He's our leader. But he also is our gate. He's our sacrifice. He's our altar. He's our cleansing. He's our fellowship. He's our light. He's the one who intercedes for us he is our glory in our lives, and we give him glory. So the old furnishings were only symbols. But the work is finished. The work is finished. You see, one thing this could never do is change a human heart. It doesn't change a human heart. It's a picture. It's a coming attraction. It's a schematic. It's a blueprint. It's a photograph, it's a drawing, but it doesn't change a heart. Jesus promised that he would come and dwell with us. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, let him open up and I will come in and live with him and him with me. It's all about Jesus. So we're going to have some communion and uh, worship team is going to come up and we're going to close with this song. But we're going to have communion. So at the table there, there's those communion units, those COVID-friendly communion units, and we'll do it together. And we'll remember what it is that we're doing. We remember it's all about Jesus. You see, what happened with the, with the tabernacle and what happened with the temple is it became an institution. It became an institution with, with paid staff and paid people and schedules and things that needed to be done, and maintenance that needed to be done. And in all of that, somehow the Lord got lost. May we never lose the Lord. May we never lose Him in the midst of us, in the midst of our life, in the midst of everything that we are. Now here's the deal as we take communion. For some of us, we might be the only representation of Jesus in our home, in our four walls. I'll take one of those too if somebody wants to bring one up. Oh, are you going to bring one up? Oh, you, 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 you will get a, a, a reward. <laughs> so if you go up to that table, get some, 
communion units. Get enough for the people with you. We'll take communion together. But it might be that you are the only believer in your house. You may have heard me say this before. Uh, a lot of times people come up and they say, you know, you don't understand. Um, I'm the only believer at work. Yeah, exactly. You're light there. You see, because not only is this a picture of Jesus, who is the light and the only light in the dark place, but you're the light and maybe the only light in that dark place. And it, it takes a while to learn how to navigate that how to do it right. I mean, how do you do it right in your house when you live there 24-7, 365? You're the only one. How do you do that? I don't know. God knows. Holy Spirit knows. He can help you. He can help you. You can be, you can be a witness. When do, you, when do you start? When do you stop? What do you say? What do you not say? What do you do? What do you don't do? God can show you. Remember, you listen to his voice. What was the lesson of the tabernacle? You move when he moves, you stay when he stays. Oh, I don't have any problem moving. Well, it seems like you have a little bit of problem staying when he's staying. Yeah, a big problem staying when he's staying. Because he ain't saying nothing when he's staying. Right. Learn to stay. Learn to wait. Wait on the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength and rise up like, on wings like eagles. So maybe the only one in your house, maybe the only one at work, maybe the only one on your team, maybe the only one, but he's placed you there. He's placed all of us there. And we belong to him. And we have the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We have the washing of the word, the cleansing of the word. We have Jesus. It doesn't take long for church and rituals and to replace Jesus. It doesn't take long for religious leaders to replace Jesus. So Lord, we come before you. And Lord, we're holding these little units in our hand that represent the, the bread and represent the cup represent you the bread of life and we're going to participate in it because you feed us and we feed off of one common loaf Jesus Christ and Lord we're all being fed at different places in our experience different times different place in our walk Lord some of us have seen the tabernacle move a lot of times at night some of us are at the place where we don't even know yet that it moves but we're learning Lord, some of us have just been hanging around the courtyard, hanging around the cross and getting little scriptures in our emails and little scripture texts. And... Lord, but maybe you're drawing us in a little bit closer. Draw me closer. Draw me into the holy of holies. Draw me into the place of fellowship with you and fellowship with believers. Draw me into the place of light, prayer, prayer for me and prayer by me. And in all of this, Lord, it's just you. It's not anything we can do, and it's not 
It's not worth the guilt that people would try to put on us, Lord. You are the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the earth. You have no competitors. You have no rivals. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ and nothing else. And Lord, it's your voice, not the voice of somebody else, not the voice of some prophet or some wise guy or some aspiring person. Or It's your voice. Hey, I feel like I should say this. And, and I don't know who it applies to. But around here, we believe that the Lord can speak. That he can speak to you prophetically. We believe he heals. We believe all of those things. And um, if somebody gives you a word, it should always be confirming and not directional. It should really be something you already know anyway. But all they're doing is confirming it for you. And I've had that happen to me, and it can be wild. Where I'm like, oh, okay. And inside I'm like, wow, how do they know that? How do they know that? Because God knows you. And he'll do all kinds of things to confirm and to lead and to guide you. The sheep know his voice. So speak to us, Lord, because your servant's listening. The Apostle Paul, he said that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And you'll have to take that first little plastic covering off. And you get to this thing that we're calling bread. In some traditions, they call it the Eucharist. The word Eucharist means the giving of thanks. We are giving thanks for what? We're giving thanks for what Jesus has done for us, that he gave his body for us, and he's feeding us, feeding us right now. So the Apostle Paul said, I'm giving to you that which the Lord gave to me on the night he was betrayed. He took bread, and he passed it out, and he said, this is my body, which is for you, which is for you. Take it and eat it, all of you. So let's take it and eat it. then you have to be an, an engineer or look at the YouTube to try to figure out how do you open the second part. And I think these ones are the refrigerated ones because a couple of months ago we had one. And I said, you know, I think we better put those things in the refrigerator. I think they're like fermenting. <laughs> So you can open it up. I can do it, thank you. <laughs> From one brown and serve roll to another. <laughs> can use the encouragement. <laughs> Said so he took the cup, and they were used to that. They understood that. It's not something we necessarily understand as you know, 21st century you know, Bible-believing people that meet in a field. They understood it. They understood the cups. And Jesus said that this cup is my blood, the new covenant. They understood blood. They were there. That's why they were in Jerusalem. They were there for blood. They were there to take the blood of the lamb. 
and to bring it to the priest who was in that tabernacle that was now a permanent temple that would bring it through the gate and would bring it to the altar and would kill that animal, shed its blood. Blood was shed for the one who brought it. And the innocent lamb dies for the guilty sinner. But this is once and for all. This is the end all. This is it. King of kings, Lord of lords, Lamb of lambs, no more sacrifices. Blood of blood. This is the new covenant. This is the agreement. You drink my blood, you take my blood. You'd be cleansed, you'd be washed, you'd be forgiven. Brought into the presence of God, into the Holy of Holies. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Not because of your faithful membership in the church, not because of what you do, not because of your position, not because of your volunteer time, not because of, not because of, not because of, not because of, not because of. It can get so old and so tiring. Because of what Jesus has done. And the Apostle Paul said, Take it and drink it, all of you. Take it and drink it. You know what it says after that? It says, As often as you do this, and this is how we're doing it, it's often from the last time that we did it. He said, You're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. And he's coming to take us, and a lot of people think that the things that we see around us are portending that end, and very well could be. Very well could be. We like to say around here, keep your eyes to the sky. He's coming. And a lot of the signs, a lot of the signs point to him returning, him coming back. But... He has an issue, and his issue is that he doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance and eternal life. Somebody else needs to get saved. Somebody else needs to come to Christ. Maybe that's you today. Click on that thing that said, I'm going to start following Jesus. You're the one. Today, you're the one that we're talking to. You're the one that's coming to him. Come unto me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden. Click it on. I'm following Jesus today. I'm going to get saved in eternity, in the blood of the Lamb, forever and ever. I'll be His, a child of God, reconciled with God. You're proclaiming His death until He comes, and so we all just became prophets. We all just proclaim the word of the Lord, that He's coming back again. Sometimes I like to do it like that, to Jesus. (laughs) To Jesus, who's coming back again. Let's stand up sing this song before the rain comes. Or is it already raining? Is it raining already? (laughs) I guess you can find this song on uh, Calvary Chapel 316.
Wednesday night, uh, 5 o'clock, there's food. 6 o'clock, Christ Safari. Bring everyone you know. And uh, there's food here now. So I uh, have some food. Sandy doesn't want to bring any home. So bless you, bless you, bless you. You are loved, you are loved, you are loved. God is in your midst. Amen.
the heartbeat of my life is to worship in your light. Your glory is so beautiful. Your glory is so beautiful.